0: Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK.
2: Yo, what's happening Rush Nation? We're back. Monday night I feel like we've been on Monday nights for longer than Tuesday nights Murph Murph I can't remember the last time we did a proper Tuesday night show in the studio how you doing man?
1: All good brother yeah um yeah it's been a long time I mean like today is a strange day it's the one year anniversary of the first lockdown um so obviously it's a sombering thought to think that We've been at home for a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're in our third lockdown. We haven't been locked down for the entire time, for those of you listening in the US, but we've been locked down for about 75% of it. Um, so it's been, it's been tough. Um, it's a real, surreal day, but as we, we've said previously. So, um, you know, I've had my vaccine. I had mine a couple of weeks ago. So um, it gives you a real peace of mind knowing that that's in and done. So and I don't know others will have theirs coming soon. So fingers crossed we get out of here the twenty first of June and uh life can go back to normal. And hopefully by then we might be even be podding live somewhere. <laughs> that's the
2: that's the hope. Yeah. Well we uh I I wouldn't you know, as much as I'm excited for that, I think we could we should hold fire maybe a smidge if vaccines tend to get not tend, but if they Start to become a little bit thin on the ground. I mean, at one point, I thought we had like 395 million vaccines, so I'm not really sure how there's a shortage. But
1: I don't think it's not as much as it's a shortage in it's it's we've got a a huge amount on order. It's just the physical shipment of them coming in and out,
2: like the current allowance, as it were, sort of thing.
1: So basically, you know, we only have X amount of room to store X amount of vaccine, right? In order for it to be potent and useful.
2: See now, this is where I disagree. Murph. This this is where I disagree because if you have ever been in a big yellow storage at any point except from the twenty first of June, they're all freezing. So just whack them in there for a bit. We'll be fine. yeah, but they don't all need to be sun in. I mean, yeah. like, the Pfizer ones for for starters
1: have to be frozen. They have to be in like minus seventy degree temperatures. So this this depends on which vaccine. It is. Um, I mean, that's why the Oxford AstraZeneca one is so groundbreaking, because it can be stored in the fridge. It doesn't have to be stored in. But I liked your reference to the Big Yellow. I once used a Big Yellow. So uh, I know how cold it is there. <laughs> and there was the one in Sutton as well.
2: Well, I mean, I, which one? There's many now.
1: The one um, by
2: the Tescos. Oh, by the studio then? Yeah. Yeah. That's... We've an off topic. That is my local big yellow storage if you uh, <laughs> if you know
1: where I am. It's always good to have a local big yellow storage because, you know, you, never you know think, where
2: uh, Do you think at this point in the world we live in currently where storage and coffee shops rule the high street, do you think there isn't somebody with a local storage? Do you think there's somebody who is a fair journey from any form of storage right now in the UK? Probably. <sighs> I don't know. Especially those in Scotland. Yeah, that's true.
1: Imagine living in the Highlands. You're not going to have
2: a big yellow up there, are you? I mean, to be fair, living in the Highlands, you've not got much of anything within a long, long way of each other.
1: (laughs) No. It's like 30 miles to go and get a pint of milk.
2: Yeah. Or when there's a huge snowdrift and you get stuck into a pub in the middle of nowhere for a couple of weeks. Do you remember that? No. Yeah, there was a huge snowdrift one day and there was a few people tucked into a pub sort of overnight at a sort of local inn and there was sort of twenty foot snowdrifts that piled across the entire bit of the area they were in, and they were stuck in the pub because they were so far from anyone for like five days. Brilliant. No,
1: not experienced that one personally, but actually, no, no, I, I, well, I, I, well, I like. I've been, I've been in, a, I've been in the pub for five days straight, um, but not for as much fun as it sounds.
2: No, and no snowdrifts. No snowdrifts. Yeah, I, I don't fancy that nice. I have had,
1: uh, I have had rioters, and looters, and robberies. While I'll be in the pub, but
2: not no a snow, snow drift. drift. Well, there's something you can tick off your bucket list, maybe a snowdrift in a pub. That's worse things I think. <laughs> right, Rush Nation. What what is happening today? Well, Murph and I we went through the quarterbacks consistency a little a couple of weeks ago. We were supposed to do the tight ends on that show, but we didn't. So what we're doing is today, we're starting with tight end consistency, and then we're gonna finish with running back consistency. And from what I've learned from Murph's information in front of me, which unfortunately you can't see because there was no live stream today. It will be in the book. Of course, it will be in the book. But we gave a sneak peek of the quarterback one on the live stream. But seeing as this is now an audio-only file today, only me and you can see it. Um, And from what I can see, there's a lot of red on the board. And as you so regularly point out, Murph, tight ends don't really matter.
1: Yeah, and look... I. I don't think we need to spend too much time here because last year, the, the Titan position was just pretty much uh, a wasteland. Um, and I mean that with the most utmost of respect. So only three players um, averaged over 10 points per game. And I'm being generous when I say over, because one was 10.08. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah basically if you owned if you owned like uh one or two players i mean basically look, the tight end position last year was was travis kelsey darren waller or or bust that that was the tight end position last year and we'll, we'll break down the numbers and the reason i don't want to spend too long on it because it is as i keep saying try, you know tight end is just a position that You know, I I, we had the show a couple of years ago, didn't we? We had the great tight end debate and I said I just don't buy taking Travis Kelsey so high because I don't think you're getting a big advantage. Not so much about the position, just the points per game rationale of it, but he has continued to get better so much so that he was in his own right a top twelve wide receiver. Mm -hmm. So you have to if you if you think of Travis Kelsey as a wide receiver and not a tight end, but then you'll get in that positional advantage but it's the points that he gets to go with it then the logic is that he is worthy of that second round pick based on what he has done in the last couple of years but no one else is worth that the you know for me there's two guys that if you're going to go tight end early there's two guys worth drafting there's one guy maybe if he's around in the fourth or fifth could be worth a steal but i'm not overly confident and then if not, I'm leaving the position because it's just there just isn't enough, and we'll get into the numbers and talk about it. But there just isn't enough here to warrant putting important draft capital into the position. So you and you... I've got a strategy point for the for the end of uh, once we've broken all this down for what I would do with tight ends. I've kind of given a sneak preview and given it away there, but.
2: Well, I think maybe rather than run through the numbers, because that could take perhaps longer than we should not give these guys yeah. credit for, but this should be something that if you really do want to see the numbers, you'll have to buy the book. You you said there's three guys. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is the dude you're going to be drafting early on. There's yeah. Just because of at, at this point, he almost isn't a tight end like you alluded to. He is a wide receiver and he played more snaps as a wide receiver than he did as a tight end lined up on the line of scrimmage for the Chiefs. So, obviously, he's the guy you're taking number one. After him, who's next that you'll maybe consider early? George Kittle, obviously
1: difficult because of the injuries, and he holds an injury risk. Um, George Kittle isn't on this list for for obvious reasons, because he did not play enough games. But if George Kittle is available, we know what he has produced and we know how Carl Shanahan uses tight ends. You know, injury aside, I would feel pretty comfortable, you know, taking George Kittle as the second tight end off the board. I think there's, there is that risk of injury. And I'm, I personally, so this is is talking about me, not the strategy of the position probably would not put that investment in Kittle because I'm pretty cautious in the opening rounds and I don't like, and for me, Kittle just has a few too many injuries. I'm not saying he's injury prone. I'm just saying that for me, based on history of injuries and I I think injury prone gets banded about a bit too much. Mm. I just look at what he's done in the last couple of years, the amount of games he's played and listen, I'm going to lose out on some players as a personal strategy. But if, if I wasn't baking any of that in, I would have no problem taking Kittle in the third to fourth round, if I got the guys I was looking for early, it wouldn't personally be my strategy, but I wouldn't have a problem if someone went ahead and did that kind of thing So those two guys for me are one and two. And there's a big gap between the two for me, but it's, it's Kelsey one gap, Kelsey uh, Kittle two. (laughs) It's Kelsey, then Kittle. And then there's another gap. And the only other tight end I'd be even remotely interested in is Darren Waller, based on what he did this year.
2: So, with George Kittle, do you think we're because of what we saw last year, injury-wise, he's likely to fall a little bit further than no? Or do you think people will just take him where they took him last year?
1: I think that the, the, the thinking and the misnomer is that people really want to get a position, a positional advantage at tight end, and I can see the sort of logic because it's a position in your lineup. And the guy in the tight end three position puts up 150, which is Robert Tonyan. So this is half point PPR point. So, you know, you're talking about 110 points, uh, give or take the the, the decimal points, um, was the difference between first and third. And you look at that and go, that is a massive positional advantage. And it, and it absolutely is. But on the flip side, you know, you are giving up another position on your roster. And this is what people don't bake into. Now, because Kelsey has been that good, you know, you'd effectively be giving up a wide receiver slot, but you're basically putting a wide receiver at a tight end. Mm. So it's not a big trade-off, and therefore the value is there. But people taking like a, a, a tight end in like the fifth round, say like Darren Waller's available in the fifth round, what you're giving up in exchange of that probably isn't worth the trade-off. And and anyone after Darren Waller is absolutely not worth drafting. Not even not even Mark Andrews. They're just not worth drafting because. They're all pretty much in a cluster with each other, so the gap from Robert Tonyan, who was third, to Noah Fant, who was twelfth, was thirty-two points, which is two points a game. So spending capital on getting a tight end in the middle round isn't worth it. It's just not worth anything to you because you'll get a two-point per game advantage, but what are you giving up to take a tight end there? You're giving up a, a wide receiver three, a running back three to get one of those guys or an elite quarterback and you're just going to lose the points so my, my tight end strategy this year to recommend it to people is very simple either go big early and get kelsey or kittle or just ignore the position until the double digit rounds this middle tight end position is just isn't isn't worthwhile to so run through the numbers. So Travis Kelsey, half-point PPR, 260 points. Darren Waller in second, 225 points. Actually played a game more than Kelsey, because Kelsey sat week 17. Robert Tonyan was third. TJ Hockenson fourth. Mark Andrews fifth. All finished within nine. Uh, and Logan Thomas sixth. All finished within six, ten points of each other, those four players. Two of those guys, Tonyan and, and Thomas, didn't even have an ADP, so they weren't ranked. TJ Hawkinson was the 15th-ranked tight end, and he finished fourth. Mark Andrews was third, and he finished fifth. But these guys, you've got Jimmy Graham, who finished as a a tight end one. He was the 34th tight end off the board. (laughs) It's like you you just don't need to – if you invested in tight end last year in the middle rounds, you basically lost. You basically just – you absolutely – you you just lost the value on that pick now here's some stats for you right so i'm taking kelsey out of this list i've just gone to 18 tight ends i didn't even bother to go beyond that because it was such a a destitute position from the tight ends 2 to 18 so take kelsey out every other tight end ranked between second this includes waller and, and the 18th ranked tight end which in this list was tyler higby um 50, so the tight end 2 to the tight end 18 busted an incredible 58% of the time. And they had an MVP week, which for the purposes of this data set, 13.6 points and half point PPR. So 13.6 points gave you a top five point total at the position. They only achieved that number just 17% of the time. And you think well, those numbers are pretty bad. There's 262 games between them. So in those 262 games, they busted 58% of the time, and they MVP'd just 17% of the time. In 2019, Titans 2 to Titans 18 actually busted at a higher rate. 62% of the time they busted, and had an MVP rate of just 13%. But it was on less games. They only played uh, 229 games. Um, this is how much of a joke the position is. Dalton Short, right? who you got as when... Um, Blake Jarwin did his ACL. Mm -hmm. So Dalton Schultz was free, got him off the waiver wire. He busted 75% of the time and he was (laughs) 3.3 point. So he busted 75% of the time. He did you absolutely no good in your lineup and he uh, points short of being a tight end one. So what you're looking for in a tight end is basically, can the tight end play 16 games? If you can find a tight end that plays 16 games... He's just as likely to be a tight end one as anyone. Yeah. So it's a bit of a lottery. You just have to find, if you look at the guys who, you know, the guys who finished with 16 games. I mean, you've got guys in here like Rob Gronkowski. He averaged 7.93 points a game. He busted 10 of his 16 games, and he finished as the tight end eight. I mean it's just ridiculous when you look at this this is why I I say this about the tight end position I I love tight ends in real life but it's just a pointless position for fantasy football because it doesn't offer anything you know you can stream this position I I, I need to look up where I finished in the PAS but I think I was I think I was third I think a difficult position to stream a top five top six position just to get guys off the way for why every week um you know don't draft tight ends in the middle round that's the if you take if you take nothing else from this conversation over the next hour or however long we're going to go for just don't draft tight ends in the middle rounds go very early or or very late double digit rounds plus literally as a filler just to get a guy um you know in terms of the, you know, you had two tight ends that averaged the MVP points per game, which was um, Kelsey and Waller, and two tight ends averaged average production. So that's where they finished in that thirteen point five to nine point two range, and they were Mark Andrews and Robert Tonian. And the rest points per game wise was a bust. So like, the the there was only four players that finished above an average of nine points per game. Which is just like when you're dealing with such small numbers, it doesn't it doesn't matter. And you know, to put this in perspective, so Robert Tonyan was the tight end three. He in half point PPR, he would have been. So he would have been a tight. He would have been a fourth a wide receiver four, the very top of the wide receiver four. But he would have been the third of the best wide receiver. So if you take Robert Tonian in the fifth round, thinking well he was the tight end three last year, so I'm going to take Robert Tonian. You could have got better than the wide receiver thirty seven in that round hundred percent so you just you just you're just taking a player that you shouldn't be taking there my favorite thing to back this up is Evan Ingram so Evan Ingram last year was the tight end eighteen he busted sixty two point five percent of the time his adp was the Titan seven and he was drafted seventy ninth overall on average so people were drafting him seventy ninth overall as the Titan seven off the board and he busted 62.5% of the time, and he was a tight end 18. That's why you don't draft tight ends in the middle rounds. Get the elite early, or don't bother at all. Just get them very, very late for free.
2: Yeah. I think the thing that I've taken from this the most is if you take a tight end sort of six, round six to, like you say, the middle rounds, you're giving up a wide receiver three, you're running back three, or an elite QB, when the chance of a tight end you're taking at that point being the tight end one is zero essentially, unless yeah. Travis Kelsey gets injured, or but the chance of that wide receiver or running back being a sneaky wide receiver two or running back two or you know we saw it with James Robinson or these guys who were drafted later last year or picked up off the waivers were far more important than a, a mid round tight end would be. So that just smacks home to me that you're giving up upside as well.
1: Again, and they go back to this. This year, 2020, tight ends 2 to 18, the, so that's the 17 of the top 18 tight ends, busted 58% of the time. In 2019, they busted 62% of the time. So you are taking a valuable player in the middle round in very important draft capital that is likely to bust on average 60% of the time. Why would you do it? Like, it, it doesn't make any logical sense to take a player who is going to bust in your lineup 60% of the time with that higher capital, with no upside. Yeah. That's my point. If you're going to take a guy in that range, you know, guys, guys you could have got in that range last year, Keenan Allen, Brandon Cooks was going later. He was going in the eighth round. Um, you know, Robert Woods was a fifth round player, Calvin Ridley was a fifth round player. Um, you know, all these players in the fifth and sixth round last year, you could have got, or even the seventh round, you could have got Josh Allen, you could have got Russell Wilson, you could have got Kyler Murray, and uh, Dak Prescott. All those, I mean, Dak Prescott got injured, so probably not the best example, but he was on a record pace. But all those guys over like an in Evan Ingram, just, there's just no need. You just yeah. don't need to invest in the position at that round. Wait until, you know, if you take a tight end in the, what does it matter if they fail? It doesn't.
2: Yeah, I think it doesn't, it doesn't uh, matter.
1: You're filling your bench at that stage.
2: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a combination of people wanting to fill, like you say, their starting roster mm-hmm. with a tight end, and also people, other people taking a tight end, and people thinking, oh, well, a few tight ends are going here. I've <clears throat> I've missed out on the big guys, and now the middle round guys are going, so I'm going to be left with no one. When actually, being left with no one is the same as drafting a middle round guy. But people are give give uh, having a fear of missing out. Yeah, and
1: the truth the truth of the matter is, there's absolutely nothing to fear missing out on um, when it comes to tight ends. You know, the only position, you, the only person you're missing out on really, truly is is Travis Kelsey. You're not missing out on anyone else. They, they don't matter. So don't just don't invest. You know, if you if you go and get Travis Kelsey, like I, if someone said to me N- like two years ago, I'm going to take Travis Kelsey on the one two turn, I'd have been absolutely mortified. <laughs> now. Now I kind of get it, like I, because I, he's the, he's so safe as a pick, and you're going to get top five wide receiver numbers out of him. I I actually don't hate it anymore. Like right now, if you were taking Travis Kelsey on the one two turn, I wouldn't hate it. Like I, I I think about what you can get on that one two turn, and I think that is almost about as safest pick as any is what you can get right now on the one two turn. I don't I don't hate that, which is mad for me. It shows my value. But he's the only player I would consider taking in, in the top five. In, in fact, in the, he's the only tight end I'd consider taking in the top 10 rounds. That's it. He's the only tight end i consider in the top 10 rounds. I wouldn't take any other tight end. I'd literally scratch the rest of the position for me.
2: Yeah. And I think that's I think that's a fair evaluation after looking at this data. I think what I've drawn from this, Murph, is that a couple of years ago when we had the tight end debate, I was a visionary. That's all I can say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you did stick up for other guys though, Ertz and
2: um uh, No, I think you're remembering it wrong. I think you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I think what's come of that is just how good at the position Travis Kelsey actually is. Um, and yeah. not, not only that, but how the chiefs use him yeah. as a weapon when perhaps he will, as, as the snap percent is shown, he's used more as a wide receiver. So yeah. he's not he's a, essentially... he's an outlier.
1: Yeah. He's an outlier. Yeah. He's not the norm. He's an, he is an outlier to, to the rest of the position. So you have to either draft. I totally understand not, not wanting to draft him at all, but just punt the rest of the position. Just absolutely punt it. Just, in it. It's just no need to invest in tight end because it's not going to hurt your roster.
2: So one last thing on tight end before we move on to running backs Murph. I know we've gone on a little bit already but Florida Gator Kyle Pitts generational talent at the tight end position. If he lands in the best possible landing spot for him how good do you think he could be and do you think he could maybe somewhat you know, if if he lands somewhere great and has a terrific year one, akin to almost what Travis Kelsey's doing, would you consider taking him earlier than round ten? Or what I'm asking is, how good do you think Carl Pitts is going to be if he lands in the best place possible?
1: I think Carl Pitts could potentially be very good. I wouldn't be interested in investing in him year one at the cost of what other people are going to invest there.
2: I, I think mean, Carl,
1: it, I think I think Carl Pitts could realistically go in those middle rounds, and I just I just you know. It's very difficult for a year one tight end. You know how high I was on Noah Fan,
2: mm-hmm.
1: as tight end prospects I've ever seen come out of college. Yeah, and I wouldn't take him in those middle rounds because yeah. it's not just about landing spot and talent. It's just the fact that tight end is a very difficult position to learn. It's not just it's not just running route. Now, listen, Carpets could line up as a wide receiver and. and he could kind of paint egg on my face here by basically just lining up as a wide receiver um, and just get a load of points. And that could realistically happen. But I, there's nothing that's going to get me to draft Kyle Pitts in the in the opening. I mean, like maybe round nine, if he's sitting there, I'd, I'd probably consider it. But in those first eight rounds, no. I just don't think, even if he landed in the best spot possible, because it just takes time for a player, especially at tight end, to uh, acclimatize and i'll let someone else take the risk and listen if it pays off you know fair play to them i am working on a strategy to build the best roster possible and he, kyle Pitts is an unknown quantity and i think at some places i'd be willing to roll a rookie but a tight end yeah i just i he could be the best best prospect in history and i still probably wouldn't do it
2: yeah, I mean, we saw only a few years ago with Evan Ingram that he had one of the best rookie tight end seasons of all time, and it still wasn't along anywhere near the lines of a George Kittle or no. Travis Kelsey, even a Darren Waller or Mark Andrews season. So, no. I, yeah, I think I'm not going to have many shares of him because, you, like, like you say, in in redraft leagues, he's going to go earlier than I'll be willing to pay for him, and then in Dynasty, I don't think i've got i think he's going to go you know he could go within the top 5 picks even in just a standard yeah. tight end league um and i think that's too high a price for me considering most of the teams i have greater needs and i think yeah. there's only one or two places where i might have a go at him in dynasty and that's purely because i've got either two or three first round picks and i can afford to take that punt yeah. so yeah it makes sense right Murph, let's let's move on to running backs the uh, meat and veg of this episode as it were Um, I've missed our potatoes there and potatoes are a key for anything decent really but what I've garnered from this is the top sort of six seven eight players even nine with Nick Chubb coming in at nine on this list um, there's not a lot of red on the board they didn't really have many bust games Uh, no
1: so um, let's let's just quickly break this down so let's take these top nine Right. First of all, so they finished in order. Alvin Kamara, number one, Uh points, points behind him was Derrick Henry at number two. Uh, Dalvin Cook was number three, but he actually had the highest points per game average. Dalvin Cook played two less games than Kamara, uh, than Henry and one less game than, than Kamara. David Montgomery was number four. Um, he was a massive drop. So those top three were within 21 points of each other. Um, David Montgomery was uh, 78 points behind Dalvin Cook from third to fourth. Um, And then you sort of have this middle tier, so David Montgomery 237, Aaron Jones 235, Jonathan Taylor 234, James Robinson uh, 225, Josh Jacobs 214, Nick Chubb 199.7, but he only played 12 games. So he falls right into that group for me. So you kind of have two tiers here. So the elite, (laughs) we've got to address the, the elephant in the room first of all. The elephant in the room is that there's no Christian McCaffrey and there's no Saquon Barkley on this list due to injury, and they would have had a massive impact on how this it would have broken down. But they're not on here because they they didn't they got they missed. You know McCaffrey played two or three games. Barkley I think played two, maybe one, um, and so as a result, you know, the, effectively two of the three best running backs for fantasy football, the guys that were being taken one and two essentially in ADP. Aren't in this data because they got injured, and that had a massive impact on the rest of the tight, uh, the rest of the running back position. Um, what you did see here is is actually fantasy players are pretty good talent evaluators because Alvin Kamara was finished one here an ADP of the fourth uh, running back off the board. Derek Henry was the sixth running back off the board. Calvin davin Cook was the fifth running back on the board. So then when you readjust those numbers, they went off at 2, 3, and 4, and they finished 1, 2, and 3. So the the evaluation process was right. The one that was off was after five games, and everything started to go off the rails because the offense wasn't efficient with Andy Dalton there. And he had the midseason stretch that was about as bad as any elite running back could have. So he finished as the running back 11. But given what sort of happened with the quarterback position, you, you could make a case that Ezekiel Elliott's year was... Massively impacted by what happened at the quarterback position. But we're going to just put that in the box to one side. So what you've got here is this Elite 3 at the moment of the data of, of Kamara, Henry and Cook. They finished head and shoulders above everybody. Rightfully so. These guys had high numbers of MVP games. Dalvin Cook actually had the most amount. He was an MVP in half of his games. And, um, you know, some of the interesting things. And, and listen, it, it's a kind of a, a, a come to Jesus moment for me because, you know, I've talked about Dalvin Cook a long t- you know i i've made some Psaki comments in the past that i wouldn't draft him you know in the top seven rounds of a draft and and all these sorts of things obviously he, he has proven that he can remain healthy ish for two games in the uh, for two seasons in a row he's played fourteen games and he pulled out some great performances against um really good teams if you take the top ten defenses he played five of them and he got Per 24.4 points against the Bears, 15.5 points against the Saints, and he was pulled in that game and let Matson was allowed to run free. He had 13.2 points against Chicago and he had 16.1 points against Indianapolis. So they were all like top defenses, and he performed in all of those. He only busted the once. Now, he obviously were you know the the problem that you have with with Dalvin Cook is is injury. That's the only thing that, that kind of puts you off. But he's played those games. It's just at the end of the season, his production drops off, whether that's injury in, or he's missed time. You know, two years ago, he missed the fantasy playoffs. Last season, he sort of played, but he was hurt in the fantasy playoffs. That's the only thing that hurts Dalvin Cook. As, as a player and as a talent and as a fantasy prospect, he's well earned his right to be in that top tier based on what he's produced. But you're always going to get with him this this thought of, is he going to be around? in the end of the season because if he is, he's a league winner. And that's why for me on a board, I'd always go with Alvin Kamara, not just because he finished above him, but you've you'll just bake a lot more safety. Now, you know, there's what happens if Taysom Hill gets the, gets the job. Over slightly. Um, but the guy doesn't bust, you know, again, he only busted once. Um, he played 15 games. He had nine solid games, five MVP games. Um, but he won you a championship in week 16 if you had him and you know I think with him and if James is the starter there I'd, I'd feel very comfortable taking Alvin Kamara at at two um, behind Christian McCaffrey I really would I've, I'd have no problem taking Alvin Kamara because you can bake in 80 plus receptions you can bake in what he does um, but if someone went in and said I'm going to take Dalvin Cook at two, at three, at four. I'd have absolutely no problem with your personal thought process towards that uh, and your tolerance for risk for that. Um, I personally wouldn't do it, but I, he, he's a top five fantasy player. Top four, even. I you know, Make the case between him and, him and Saquon. Um, and then you've got Derek Henry, who is the Russian champ two years in a row. And you know, he doesn't catch passes. That's the only thing that goes against him, but he, his rushing numbers are so good and so consistent. He is the safest running back prospect up there. Um, Played 16 games again, averaged over 20 points in a half point PPR league. Um, And he he doesn't catch the ball. He doesn't (laughs) catch the ball. And towards the end of the season, he's an absolute league winner. When defenses are at their absolute worst, he just absolutely runs a tear. Um, Yeah. you know, Derek Henry for me. So I think for me, you've got five running backs at the top of the board in McCaffrey, Saquon, Kamara, Henry Cook. And you can put Zeke in there. A lot of people probably aren't right now because of what happened last season. But you could put Zeke in that conversation. And I think really Christian McCaffrey's a tier above, but it's your tolerance to risk for the injury. But I think those other guys, you can two to, two to five, two to six, you can kind of chop it any which way. And it's down to personal preference. I think those guys are as safe as houses. The only thing that's going to kill them is injury.
2: Yeah. I think from what I've taken away from the initial look at this is running backs don't tend to play the full 16 games. I mean, of the of the top 12, only two running backs played the full 16 games, and that was Derek Henry and Kareem Hunt. Obviously, Kareem Hunt is more of a pass-catching back, although he did play as the lead back for a few games when Chubb was injured. So his his hit rate, or well, being hit should I say, is a little bit less being the pass catching back but then this, Derek Henry all he does is get hit and keeps going so mm. it's the running backs not playing like you say, Dalvin Cook now has those two years where he's him and Derek Henry are almost the polar opposite of each other when it comes to the running back position In how Derrick Henry's season finishes strong, Cooks normally start strong. And I wonder, uh, over the last two seasons, if there was a point at which the Derrick Henry owner would have sort of taken Dalvin Cook off your hands in a sort of switcheroo, if you could have pulled that off at the pre- precise time in both seasons to, to maximise your running back for the start and end of the season.
1: Mm. yeah it's an interesting one i I think what what we know is we know who are the good running backs in this league are um, from an elite perspective um i don't think you need this data to kind of tell you it it just sort of validates it what is interesting to me is this next tier of running backs so this is um we're going from four down to nine right so we're going david montgomery aaron jones jonathan taylor james robinson josh jacobs nick chubb right now I tell you right now of these six backs, the one that is going off the board next in almost every league I've seen this off season is Jonathan Taylor. That's yeah. that's where Jonathan Taylor is, is going off the board. I want to share with you. So I, I'm, I'm going to park nearly everyone to one side. I, I'm going to talk about just two players right now. So I'm going to talk about David Montgomery and Jonathan Taylor, and I'm going to tell you why these guys, for me, have the potential to be the two most overdrafted players in fantasy football this year. Although, with David Montgomery's current price, I'm not so sure I can even say that. (laughs) But I'm going to talk about why I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be the most overdrafted player uh, in in fantasy football this year. Um, And I'm going to do this by comparing him and David Montgomery. Because, actually, when you do a comparison on the two, their results are extremely similar. Um, I mean, extremely similar. So let's first of all, take the raw data in that they both played 15 games. David Montgomery finished 237.8 points. Jonathan Taylor finished 234.8 points. So the difference was exactly three points between them. Um, David Montgomery had two more MVP games than Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor had three more solid games. Dave Montgomery busted once more than than Jonathan Taylor. Now, what's interesting is both of these guys at the mid-season point weren't particularly great. Um, But from week 12 or week 13 onwards, I'm going to tell you now, from week 13 onwards in the season, so that's 13 through 17, the last five games – Jonathan Taylor was the running back one. David Montgomery was the running back two. Derek Henry was the running back three. Alvin Kamara running back four. Right? So you think that, you think the last five games, well, these guys were absolutely incredible. Now, if any of you were really keenly tuned into last season, i kind of predicted that David Montgomery was going to be one of the best running backs uh, for the fantasy football playoffs. And actually, if you did fantasy football playoffs, David Montgomery over those two weeks would have been the running back two behind Alvin Camaro, who had that 50 something point game. So, you know, when you look at that, you think, wow, okay, how did you predict that? I looked at his matchups. If you remember me saying, and I said that David Montgomery had the softest run in, probably any running back is ever going to have in the fantasy football playoffs. Um, This was also true for Jonathan Taylor. So, let's talk about David Montgomery. So David Montgomery's last five games, he had four MVP weeks. So four of his five came in the last five games. He got these against Houston, who were the 32nd ranked offense. So the easiest, um, defense to score fantasy points on. He had it against Detroit, who were the second easiest defense to score on the Green Bay Packers, who were the fourth, uh, sorry, the fifth easiest, and the Minnesota Vikings, who were the sixth easiest. He also had in that span the Jags, who were the third easiest. Uh, but he didn't get He got 19.1. So he just missed it by two points. So his last five games, he had four MVP weeks of 21 points. That's the MVP mark. It was 21 points or over. Um, and the fifth game, which wasn't an MVP week, was 19.1. That's pretty good. So, yeah, which is amazing. And you look at that numbers, and if you didn't do the science behind the numbers, you look at it and think, wow, David Montgomery's really turned the corner. But actually, in his five games, he played, you know, five of the six weakest defences. Yeah. So actually, it's not all that impressive. Um, but And people know this. So pe- this is common knowledge that people know this, that David Montgomery is a guy who can beat up on really bad run defences. But he he struggles against good teams. Um so, you know, against the good teams, he actually had a very good game against Tampa. All things considered, he got 15.4 half people half PPR points. Atlanta 6.4 points, Indianapolis 9.2 points, Rams 9.4 points, Saints 11.5 points. When you compare that to someone like Davin Cook, he's getting about half the points on on average. It was only Tampa that he put in a good uh, a good performance. Um so that is the that is the you know, we know this about David Montgomery. But what people don't seem to realize is that Jonathan Taylor is effectively, just from a fantasy perspective, I'm not talking about style, I'm not talking about ability, I'm talking about situation and fantasy points, is pretty much identical. Jonathan Taylor had three MVP weeks, and they were against Houston, who, as I'd already mentioned, were the easiest and gave up the most fantasy points to, to running backs. He had the Jaguars, who were the third easiest, and the Raiders, who were the fourth easiest. And that's where he got his MVP points against. So when he faced top 12 defenses, which he only did twice, he actually didn't do too badly against Pittsburgh, which was one of those other games in that run. He got 19.4 points. Um, and against Cleveland, he got 14. So it shows that he's a slightly different caliber, but both do as well against good defenses or, or better runs from a fantasy points perspective. They also both have a scat back, um, David Montgomery didn't have last season, but will have Tyreek Cohen this year. Jonathan Taylor has Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines was the RB twenty last season. Who is impacting what Jonathan Taylor is going to do? And they now also re-signed Marlon Mack, who was injured.
2: Yeah, I was just, I was just going to say, uh, uh, looking at this list all the players who finished there or thereabouts in the top 10 have apart from Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, obviously who are on the same side, the team. And we know about them as a unit between four and uh, 10. There are players now who have finished on this list, who have got question marks because of either players coming back, players re-signed or players bought in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd caveat that slightly and say that Aaron Jones, I'm not overly worried about. Um, He will have AJ Dillon, but he anymore. So he could in theory see potentially more opportunity for his um, and he's been paid. So there's an investment in him. So So, I would say Aaron Jones, situation is slightly better. Um, James Robinson. I'm not overly worried about Carlos Hyde. He might take a bit of the work, but I, I, I wouldn't be overly worried about James Robinson at this stage. Um, Josh Jacobs' situation's got a heck of a lot worse um, because he's got Kenyon Drake, who finished at the RB14. Kenyon um,
2: Drake's situation's got incredibly worse too. <laughs> it's got incredibly worse as
1: a result. Uh, basically, Josh Jacobs isn't trusted in the passing game. Um, and Josh Jacobs really had three phenomenal games. he busted seven times. He was the only one of these top nine um, running backs who who busted sort of more than five times. Um, and he busted nearly half the time. So Josh Jacobs was an absolute nightmare for fantasy last season. Um my point is that, that that Jonathan Taylor just at this point given the fact that he's going to be in with two other backs a, with a coach in Frank Reich who is not going to give him the ball 75% of the time he's not going to get to elite tier running back um and on top of this he's only really he can beat up on bad teams he's had okay games against good teams but he's also had some bad games in there as well um so I just, for me, I, I you know, this year, everyone went running back heavy early. In 2020, it was running back, I think, was nine or ten of the top 12 picks um in the standard one QB league. And actually, I think now you need to pivot towards these elite wide receivers. And I think I still think the first five or six picks warrant being running back. In fact, I think more than ever. Because these guys are continually developing at such a high level, but there also is such a scarcity in them. You know, these, you know, Alvin Kamara, Derek Henry, Davin Cook. Alvin Kamara finished nearly 100 points. He finished 99.5 points ahead of David Montgomery in fourth. We saw this last year with Christian McCaffrey. He finished like over 100 points over the guy in third. Like when you get one of these elite running backs, they are gold, they will win you leagues. David Montgomery's, Jonathan Taylor's, you know, they put in a really good shift. But if you're taking Jonathan Taylor in the first round and David Montgomery's available in the third or fourth round. In the essence of fantasy, they're almost essentially the same player. And I don't need people to come at me and say that talent wise they're not because I 100% agree that Jonathan Taylor is a great running back. From a talent perspective, but you know, for me taking Robinson or sorry, taking Montgomery, you know, I'm in this, we're doing an expert draft every month. Jonathan Taylor went at the 1.05. David Montgomery went at the
2: 4.02. If you took their names away, if you took players' names away and drafted with just numbers, and I'm not just, I'm not saying like an ADP number or last year's points because stuff changes, situations change. But if you created your own, sort of numbers and stuff as if we've got in front of us and you drafted with those numbers as opposed to names, you would have a much better draft outcome because you would be taking players at better value than you would if you drafted Jonathan Taylor because he's now going to be the next guy at the 105. Rather than... I mean, if you think you at at 1-6, let's just say Devontae Adams went at 1-6, I don't know. But if you take Devontae Adams at the 1-6 and then David Montgomery at the 4-5 or whatever you just said compared to jonathan taylor at the one five and then i'm trying to think of a wide receiver in the fourth round that's going to be nowhere near the same combination as if you had adams and montgomery it, it just that's way rich for me
1: and this is my point in other drafts i'm mostly seeing him go on the, on sort of the, the end of the first round i just don't i don't buy it i'd rather have austin eckler uh, around later um Aaron Jones is going later. These are guys who I'd much rather have than than Jonathan Taylor because the path to them being successful for me is is much easier. You know, people are buying. And the the, here's the funny thing is, and I'm not calling anyone out specifically, but people who are looking at at Jonathan Taylor as the next coming of of an elite uh, running back are also the people that understand that David Montgomery is not. But they're you know on paper they're essentially. I think they're essentially the same. I think, you know, they're not, and I'm sure Taylor has more upside than David Montgomery, but I don't think it's three rounds worth of up. Is my point. And I think they, I think Jonathan Taylor is really at risk of being the most overdrafted player. I'd much rather have Aaron Jones. I'd much rather have, um, Nick Chubb. I'd much rather have James Robinson.
2: I certainly don't want Josh Jacobs.
1: Um, based on that current situation, I would much rather have Ezekiel Elliott. Um,
2: You'd rather have Antonio Gibson. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I mean, that this is where we're starting to get interesting, right? Because this is where the talent starts to drop. I, I, I really like Antonio Gibson. Um, and Antonio Gibson came on sh- strong towards the end, and he did it against uh, better defences um, as well. Like, the, the question mark around Antonio Gibson, now we've got fits there, is as the quarterback is just uh, how much work is he going to get? Um, are Washington going to be leading in enough games? To really utilise Antonio Gibson to take him to the next level, he's not going to have a lot of competition. Yeah, I mean, I really like Antonio Gibson. I think he's on the fringes of the of the RB one conversation, but um, I think he's someone that you can definitely consider. And then you get you do get this massive drop off. So we're looking at the second tier uh, of so just to round off the top ten. You know, Nick Chubb was nine. He played twelve games. That's why he was nine. He would have shot right up the board had he played a couple more games. Um, Kareem Hunt was 10 he's definitely the secondary back that's been proven he got a boost because Nick Chubb missed four games um Zeke Elliott I think it's it's an outlier I think he jumps up I don't think he's wouldn't say he's he's it's hard to say if he is on that group or the tail end of that group but for me I'd be taking him over Montgomery Jones Taylor for sure um I wouldn't be as worried about his performance I think you can see why it went wrong now we're getting into Dicey territory, right? So now we're going through these 13 to 24 and I'll list them first. Melvin Gordon was 13th. Kenyon Drake was 14th. Mike Davis was 15th. Rojo was 16th. Chris Carson was 17th. DeAndre, DeAndre Swift was 18th. David Johnson 19th. Naheem Hines, already mentioned, was 20th. J.K. Dobbins 21st. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire 22nd. Mars Sanders 23rd. J.D. McKissick 24th. Now Let's deal with the the, the three players that played the least amount of games, which was Carson, Johnson, and Sanders. They all played 12 games each. Uh, Carson has re-signed. His position is pretty good. Um, Pretty healthy average, 14 points a game. Um, It would have vaulted him into an an RB1 position if he played more games. Um, He always does have a bit of an injury problem. Um, But on the whole, I think he's a pretty safe running back too. Um, as a whole I think you draft him as a running back too I think you can buy him at an RB2 price I think you get him, it's not a big problem um, then you've got David Johnson, his situation's a nightmare because now he's got Ingram and Philip Lindsay there I don't actually know what his situation is going to be going forward um, But
2: it's he's... such a weird one because they paid him as well
1: <laughs> yeah but then they've restructured his contract and he's taking less money now Um, so
2: they paid him and then they bought in two other backs regardless of the restructure it's it's just a nightmare like you say
1: i think i think you know david johnson last year won mvp games seven solid games four bus games says that he he did all right a low-end rb2 miles sanders for me is the one that i i I look at think you know i I was well out on him last said he's overpriced um, because of his end of season. Uh, people were taking him at the tail end of the second, beginning of the third round, and it was it was too much. Um, and he you know, finished as the RB23, and it's not just because of his uh, 12 games. It was also because he was in a situation that just didn't play to his strengths. Um, I think that changes in Philadelphia with a new coaching staff. There isn't a lot of competition for him there as of yet. They might draft some. We can wait and see. But right now, he's got a pretty clear opportunity to put some big numbers up. So he's someone I think you can buy low, because I think he's now he's gone from being overpriced to underpriced in the year. I think now you could probably get him in that uh third, fourth round and I quite like that price if you can get him. I think he's someone that could he's he's better than 23rd. I think you can get him as a solid uh mid-range to high end uh RB2. But so those three are, are interesting. But then you everyone in here for me is just guys. They're just outside of this, there's no real everyone's going to look at Dobbins and say, well, you know, there's no Ingram there, but you know, the fact that the Mar rushes the ball so much, it's going to cap Dobbins ceiling. I th- you know, he could potentially get more, but again, I can't see a path to him being an RB one. So I would draft him very carefully. You know, he had five bus games. Um, JK Dobbins had seven bus games. I think they could probably push up slightly, but I'm a bit concerned. Um, Tyder Butler just didn't do it did he zero mvp he's the only guy on this list of 24 players with no mvp games he had eight solid games and five um five bus games and he played 13 games and he's just was someone who just didn't didn't deliver and i'm not saying it's talent but he didn't he had a lot of opportunities at the goal line to score touchdowns and didn't um so i don't think he's going to be overpriced this year i think he falls into that group um that sort of fourth round range maybe maybe mid-third um you know i i like some of the rookies coming in i think some of the some of the rookies you can get will do potentially a better job depending on landing spot like uh harris and williams for example but like melvin gordon melvin gordon is the perfect example of someone who got healthy and just played enough to finish the rp13 position or i don't think he's someone that or well, even though the opportunities cleared up for him <laughs> for Lindsay there. Um, I don't think I'd be rushing out to, to draft Melvin Gordon at any stretch. Mike Davis is interesting. Now he's in Atlanta. He signed for Atlanta today. If they don't add anyone else in the draft, he could be a very interesting buy. Um, Ronald Jones, not for me. Um, I think Buck's draft running back and bring another one in anyway. I think it'd be, I think he's, he kind of hit a ceiling and a lot of this was massaged with big runs. Um, where else are we at? Uh, Naheem Hines is a scat back. I, I like these guys. Tariq Cohen, Naheem Hines. You can get in the 8th, ninth, 10th round. I think they're absolute steals. These are the sorts of guys that win you championships because they're just solid guys who, who put up points. I know Naheem Hines busted 11 times. It's hard to say that, but he's the sort of guy with an average of 10 points per game that just win because he plays every week. Yeah. He's someone that would just chip in on the roster. You just need a five-week flex and you'll do a great job. Um, JD McKissick's another one like that exactly the same Um...
2: They're almost, when you get running backs in a committee sort of like JD McKissick although Antonio Gibson is good you've got these Naheem Hines and the Tariq Coens Mm -hmm. who people sleep on every year and you get them late and we know what their workload and role is whereas someone in a running back sort of like Clyde O'Brittolaire or J.K. Dobbins you almost... When there's two or three guys and it's a clear spit split, split you, the outlier for me here is is Cleveland with Chubb and Hunt being yeah. so far up the list. But you almost want the pass catching back as opposed to the running back in in a committee because we know what they're going to do. Whereas the running back it can be shut down in such a way that they're not going to be effective for fantasy as much as the pass catching back will be. And I know Jonathan Taylor is is good and. Now Mac's back. I mean, they don't re-sign Mac for no reason. They don't have an allegiance to him. And to give him a contract shows me they're going to use him a little. And that little will take off of Taylor. So I'm not saying don't draft Jonathan Taylor and draft... Um, <laughs> uh, what's his name? Naheem Hines. I'm just saying when you know a pass catching back, we know what their role is. People draft them too late for me. Absolutely, these
1: these guys. For me, I don't know why you draft Ronald Jones in the fifth, sixth round when you can buy Nahim Hines in, in the eighth or ninth. Like to me, they're not much of being the same player. Certainly this year, they didn't produce. You know, they produced fairly similar stats. Oh. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see this. You know, I don't understand why you'd want a guy like like you know, a guy like Mike Davis. I understand investing in at that stage, if he's going to be what looks like could be the one in, in Atlanta. Yeah, of course. Um, but like Kenyon Drake is going to see a massive fall. I can't see the point of drafting Kenyon Drake in the fifth or sixth round. Yeah. Jacob staying in the second round. Um, but give me, give me these guys if Melvin Gordon's a fifth round pick and Naheem Hines is an eighth round pick, give me Naheem Hines. I know I'm giving up a few points here and there, but actually I don't think I'm giving up that much. Um, same with these guys. Like, you know, Naheem Hines is in this, this range of field with, Swift and Johnson and uh, Dobbins and Clyde, Batale. like he's right bang in the middle of that. Those guys for me, looking at this data, Miles Sanders is the ultimate buy low right now. Um, and maybe even Mike Davis will be the ultimate buy low. I think Chris Carson is a sleeper in terms of where he'll go off the board to what you're going to pay for. We haven't even included this, this Joe Mixon. And I don't know where you put Joe Mixon in, in here. It's a difficult situation. I think, it's interesting with the running back position, I think, if you are drafting at in the top half of the first round, you're taking running back. If you're tra- drafting in the back end of the first round, you see a couple of these guys go off the board, like a Nick Chubb, like an Aaron. People are going to panic and start taking these guys, like Jonathan Taylor, or guys are just going to fall in love with Jonathan Taylor and take him early anyway. And that's where your game plan's going to start to unravel because you start to chase these guys. Mm. And actually, you don't need to panic. Take the best available wide receiver. Take an Adams, take a Hill. They'll be there. Um, and, and take the best available wide receiver. And then go in round two and get someone like an Eckler who will be getting an injury discount on, who will produce just fine. Um, get like a, a Kareem Hunt and Antonio Gibson in those guy, in those rounds because you're going to get much better positional value. Uh, off that, than than what you're going to get with with Johnson of easily being the most overdrafted player uh, this year, and I think people need to heed that warning because yes, him him and Montgomery have uh, have produced uh, decent figures, uh, absolutely absolutely so, but the back end RB ones that's their ceiling. The, you you're paying absolute ceiling prices for these guys. Well, for Taylor, not for Montgomery. Montgomery, you're still paying an absolute discount on. Like, I don't understand how there's near enough three rounds worth of difference between these guys. It, especially, makes, it makes no sense for me.
2: No, especially when those three rounds are the top rounds where you know what you're getting pretty much production wise from the top wide receivers or a Travis Kelsey. I mean, if you, if you were to tell me that you could get, I, this is, this is hearsay really, but if, imagine if you could draft Devonte Adams, Travis Kelsey, or Austin Eckler, and then come back round and get a wide receiver in the third, and then draft David Montgomery in the fourth. It's That's a dream situation for me. You've got Eckler and Robin um, Montgomery plus one of the best wide receivers in the game, and then whoever you take in the third there, it, it's dreamland.
1: Uh, absolutely. If you're drafting at the tail end of the first, so I've, I've been doing a lot of mocks at ten, um, and I've been walking away from drafts with Tyreek Hill. Um, Uh, Yeah, getting Tyreek Hill, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, David Montgomery as my opening four picks.
2: I I think you'll struggle to combo any four picks better than that at that point in the draft, just because of the value of David Montgomery at four.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. Again, it just to me makes a lot of sense. I know what I'm buying with David Montgomery. I'm not buying a, a running back one, I'm buying a a high-end RB2 with low-end RB1 upside. But I know what he's going to produce. And I know he's going to take a dip next year because he's going to have Tyreek Cohen. But he's going to be just as good as a lot of other guys in that round. So I'm quite happy to do that and take Keenan Allen, who I know is safe with Herbert. Tyreek Hill is as safe as anything. And Austin Eckler, you know. And I've got a nice little stack there. If I end up getting Herbert in, like, the seventh round, I've got a nice little Chargers offensive stack of Herbert Allen an Ekler. Yeah. I mean that could be a really nice little stack to 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 fire you up through the season. Could be. So but- I think I think that's the key. I think you know we've we've touched a bit on strategy here. There's five or six guys who are your your true Bell Cow production running back guys and those guys should go off the board one to six. And then you should be fluid from there on. But you shouldn't shut the door on Running back, and you shouldn't chase running back in the back end of that draft. Um, in the back half of the first round, you can get some real value off some guys there.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think uh, my article I wrote last year where I said if I'm drafting from twelve, I want to go wide receiver, wide receiver. I think there is almost some merit to that right now as well. If with who you can get, maybe maybe you you do need to take a wide a running back in the second. But if there's if the value isn't there and you can get two stud wide receivers I, I don't think I'd be opposed to it right now. Uh
1: no. And I think it's you kind of have to look at what what is available and, and be fluid and that's what we talk about all the time but just don't don't buy this hype that Jonathan Taylor is is an elite fantasy football running back. Just just <laughs> don't buy that hype because there's nothing in this that suggests that he is going to get A the touches and B the production. So just, just be really careful, temper. First, just let go. Let, let him go. Don't, don't shoehorn yourself into getting, thinking you have to take the guy because you're going to miss out on him. Just, just be prepared to to let him go and take someone
2: else. Be happy to miss on him. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, listen. If you get into the
1: tail end of the second round, it's a different conversation. It's a completely different conversation. But he's not going that late. He's going tail end of the first. I just no. I'd rather take Kelsey. I'd rather take Kelsey than Jonathan Taylor.
2: Yes, Murph. Yes.
1: I wouldn't, but I'm just saying I would, <laughs> I would rather that more. But you get the point. But anyway, I think we've labored this on long enough, but I hope I hope people have understood this a little bit. And yeah, the, the data's solid. and Like, it, it it just makes a lot of sense when you lay it out and people will be able to see it and, and go through it for themselves and see uh, what we're talking about in more detail.
2: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, Rush Nation, that was the running backs. We've done tight ends eventually. Quarterbacks are covered. It's just my favourite group to go, the wide receivers. Um, I, I I would say we'll do it next week. But like Murph said, we're fluid and we keep moving about. So it will come. I'm just not 100% sure when.
1: Yeah, it's, it deserves its own show. So that's why I wanted to get tight ends and running backs together.
2: Yep. agree, agree, agree. Rush Nation, don't forget we are still running our Ricky Williams jersey competition all you have to do is donate two pounds to our charity unique the pinned tweet at the top of our twitter page is where you need to enter and don't add gift aid because it is a competition and it is for charity we would absolutely love a few more entries murph because we uh, we're getting there but we're still a few shy of where we want to be yeah definitely right rush nation until next week don't forget keep rushing